blessing it is to worship together, join our hearts together, and open God's word together. Uh, We are in a study in the book of Nehemiah, and I remember uh, back a year ago, and I felt led that we wanted to, we were going to be uh, studying Nehemiah, and I started studying it and digging in on it, and suddenly realized that's just the last half of this book. Ezra Nehemiah in the Hebrew Bible is one book. And if a Jewish person came in with their Hebrew Bible, they would probably say, why are you starting here halfway through? Uh, So we began last fall and we studied through Ezra, uh, this amazing story of rebuilding. And we're in the next part of it uh, about the walls uh, in the book of Nehemiah. So uh, Nehemiah is the one who brings this third wave of rebuilding. So let me remind you of the setting, what, what had gone on. There had been a united kingdom, and then that kingdom uh, divided into north and south. And the northern kingdom was conquered in 722. It was really the judgment of God. The Assyrians came in to effect that judgment, but uh, they had practiced idolatry again and again. And so the judgment came on this nation because they ignored the ways of God. You don't want to ignore the ways of God. And so that came in the north and then in the south. Uh, the south, Judea, Judah, uh, was destroyed in 586 B.C., and that's when Jerusalem fell. And so uh, about 50 years goes by. It's the period we call the exile. And at the end of that time, uh, Cyrus says, I-, I think you folks should go back. The king said, I- I've been stirred up by your God to send you back. So Zerubbabel led the first return in, in 538. About 50,000 under him uh, that he brought. That was a big job. How would you like to lead a a youth retreat with 50,000? I mean, this is a big, big deal. Uh, And and then Ezra led the second wave of about 5,000. It gets smaller. Uh, The third wave with Nehemiah, we don't even know how many. We're going to be into that uh, in the next couple of weeks. So the Lord began to stir this uh, other great leader, uh, and he, he didn't start out as, as the great leader. He was the cupbearer, and we studied that last week, uh, named Nehemiah. It's 13 years now after Ezra, and Nehemiah heard that there was trouble in River City, <laughs> trouble in David City, and, uh, and we talked about that last weekend. In the first chapter, there's this trouble going on. He hears about it. He's greatly concerned. Uh, and this week we're uh, at the part where he's facing, what is it going to take to get started? Nehemiah, you'll remember last weekend we studied, was deeply grieved. I mean, when he heard the news about the walls and the gates, the gates were burned down. There's nothing protecting the people, nothing protecting the city. And in the ancient world, if there's not, no protection, you don't have a city. You can't even call it a city. It was just a, a shame and a, and a shambles there. And, and so he heard about this, and the question was, <clears throat> I, know, I know something needs to be done, but how do you get started? Have you ever been in a situation like that where you knew something needed to be done, but you just didn't even know where to start? How do we get going on this huge task? And that's where Nehemiah is today as we look at the Word of God. We're in Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning verse 1. And you'll find that on page 398 of the Bibles that are out there. 
And let me just say that if you do not own a Bible, you need to change that today. If you don't own a Bible, grab one of those Bibles, write your name in it, take it home, begin to read it and study it. It's a very good modern version of the Bible. And so we'd love to have that as a gift to you from Faith Fellowship Church. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, The queen, sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah And a letter to Asaph, uh, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. For the good hand of my God was upon me. Then... I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Now let's stand and let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your voice, for your word. We thank you that you have spoken galaxies and stars and worlds and oceans into existence. That you have spoken each one of us into existence. Even before we were born, you had your thought upon us, your eye upon us as you designed us, as you knit us together in our mother's wombs. And we thank you for that, O God. And that your word created all that we see. And Lord, we thank you that your word comes to us across centuries from the pages of scripture to speak into our time, into our day. God, we want to hear. We open our 
ears and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Last weekend, we, we saw that Nehemiah was deeply burdened by what he heard concerning Jerusalem. Uh, he said when he heard this bad news about Jerusalem, he, he immediately just fell down and wept and wept and wept. And for several days, then he wept and then he fasted and he prayed. He, he did not know how to respond, but he, he, knew, he knew that he needed to respond in some sort of a, a manner. And one of the things we need to see, and I want to lift some points out of this scripture as we go along, about the getting started that God calls us to. And one is that bold plans of God are not reactionary, but they're bathed in prayer. A lot of times we hear something and we want to do something. And sometimes we can get way out ahead of the Lord. We react instead of stopping and listening and praying and hearing. And that's really what Nehemiah did. There's so much wisdom in this man of God. And by the end of chapter 1, after we've heard about magnificent prayer, boy, the prayer in chapter 1 that he prays is just amazing. Uh, His final verse there says, Now I was cupbearer to the king. It's almost as if there's this realization uh, that's come to him. As he realizes, now what can be done about this? I've been put into a place uh, of, of influence, really, a place uh, where I can probably uh, hear and react in some way. Nehemiah knew that, that he had been strategically placed, really, to make a difference. And the thing that I mentioned last week that we really want to lift out of that is that you, too, have been placed strategically to make a difference. Sometimes we say, well, what am I doing here? Why am I in this job? Why am I in this situation? Why am I in this thing that's going on? And we need to realize we're not any, you're not here by accident. There aren't any accidents in our lives. We find ourselves in a place, and it may not make sense to us yet, but we are strategically placed for the plans of God, and we need to realize that we're to make a difference And so he takes some time in this. You know, every once in a while I see this sassy kind of response to desperate situations. And uh, it bothers me. Uh, I I shouldn't let things bother me. But someone will post or they'll write, uh, we need more than thoughts and prayers. You ever see that or hear that? And it's an affront to to people of prayer. It's almost like, well, in your face, you know, your thoughts and prayers do no good. And... I just want to suggest to you that every significant action of God through us will begin with thoughts and prayers. And that's what we see here. He's going to take a little bit of time to to think and to pray and to meditate upon this. Now, it might be a shorter uh, period of time or it might be a longer period of time. In this case, it was four months of thoughts and prayers that went by. Uh, We don't immediately recognize it because these aren't the names of the months that we use. But from the month of Kislev until the month of Nisan, that's basically September to March or October to April. uh, That period of time is four months. It's across the wintertime. And we know from our previous study that it was a 900-mile journey. And somebody might have said, why don't you get going? I mean, you can meditate a little bit when you get there, but... What are you doing just sitting around? Nehemiah, you could have been there by now. Four months. 
And so why are you sitting around? Now, one thing we know is that those are the four months of winter. And we know from that, uh, our knowledge of that area, that whole region, and uh, there are people in our congregation that have been there, that have been in Iran and have been in Iraq, which are the modern areas that we're talking about. Temperatures in the summer can be 120 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, that's really hot. <laughs> I thought it got hot in Florida. We, we don't get close to that. And temperatures in the winter can be below freezing. And, you know, the kings were wealthy. They just turned on their AC, right? Actually, they did. Their AC, their, uh, their adjustment was by moving to a different palace. They moved to a different altitude. Herod had a, had a palace in, at Masada that was 1,000 feet above the sea level. And it was so that he could have a cool place and still look around and see what was going on. So they had winter palaces and they had summer palaces. And Artaxerxes would have been in the winter palace during this time. Some have thought, well, maybe that's the delay. That, that Nehemiah was back in, in the other area, freezing, and, and, uh, and Artaxerxes was in the winter palace. But I think the more that I've studied this, that Nehemiah was the most trusted one in, in his entourage. He was the chief cupbearer from all we can see. He has a very close relationship with the king. And so I think most likely, Nehemiah, he carefully and prayerfully waited for the right time to bring something before the king. And we don't want to miss that. Because the scripture teaches us that there's power in waiting on the Lord. Now, there's several scriptures that speak to that. Habakkuk or Habakkuk. Do you know how to say it correctly? Just say it with confidence and you'll be right. Okay. <laughs> Everybody will go, oh, that's how you say it, okay? So Habakkuk, all right? Habakkuk 2. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. Let's read it out loud together. It's such a good verse. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. There's an appointed time, and we need to wait for it. Psalm 27, in a similar way, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We find the same thing in the New Testament, 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. He's not late. He's not. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So, Nehemiah... I think was waiting for the Lord to prompt him at the very perfect right time, the appointed time. And he may have even learned that by being the chief cupbearer. You know, I was thinking about how important his job is. Just so important. His job is to keep the king alive. Don't, and you don't do that by rushing. If somebody brings in, hey, the king wants this wine, so hurry and get this in here. No. <laughs> I need to examine that wine. I need to look at it to see, is there any, anything that appears to be wrong with that wine? And he had learned to recognize that sort of thing. No, we don't. There's some things we just simply don't rush. And so he's not going to rush the plan of the Lord. So in the spring, Artaxerxes would have been back in his primary palace in Susa. It was a magnificent palace. There's a lot of archaeological uh, excavation that's gone on there. It's an amazing place. You can't get to it. It's in Iran. Uh, Persia is Iran. 
but it's an amazing palace that was there. And then our scripture tells us that in the month of Nisan, uh, when wine was before him, I, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. He's all set. And then he makes this comment. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Nehemiah had covered his concern. He had covered his countenance. And there's no indication that he came in and said, okay, today's my day to be sad. Uh, He may have said, I I am not going to hold back anymore. But Nehemiah uh, had never appeared sad in the presence of the king. He might have decided, well, now's the time for me to to be a little bit more transparent here. And the king immediately recognized his sadness and his grief and, and realized something was wrong. And he asked this question. He says, well, what, what's wrong? I mean, why is your face sad uh, seeing that you're not sick? I mean, you look like you're sick o- over something. And then he, he diagnoses. He says, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. And apparently there was a, a trusted relationship there that was going on that he, that he could recognize. I mean, we do this with friends. I mean, it may be that already today you met someone and said, hey, what's going on? I can, I can tell you, there's something wrong. Do you want to talk? And that was the sort of thing that was going on here. Now, the thing is that this was a danger because it was a known offense to appear in the presence of the king with a sad face. How about that? You were not allowed to come into the presence of the boss, the king, with some frowny face on. You, you could not have a grumpy day at work uh, in, in this culture. In fact, in fact, you could be executed for it. The king had absolute power. If you had a grumpy look on your face, he didn't like it, he'd just say, off. You know, and it was done. That, that's how much power he had. And, and so, Nehemiah says, then I was very much afraid. I was scared. The New American Standard translates, I was seized by great fear. And it was because of of this. Nehemiah's downcast spirit had been recognized. And it was now or or never. You know, we would say fish or cut bait. But it was actually King Artaxerxes uh, who had earlier stopped the building process. This might have sounded like an accusation. If you hadn't stopped the building process back then, we would have some walls over there. And you didn't want to be heard that way. I mean, that would be really, really bad. So it was a frightening moment. And what we want to lift out of that is that building back boulder calls us to move through, move ahead through our fears. It's going to be those times when when it gets scary as we're trying to build back things in our lives and in our community, in our world. So we want to make sure uh, we're careful with that. You know, we sometimes say that fear can be uh, called this way. False expectations appearing real. And I like that because so many times the enemy uses fear. And, and it's not something that's really going to happen. We, we just get terrified about something that's never going to happen. But in this situation, it seemed to be a genuine fear. I mean, the threat of uh, the response by Artaxerxes was a very real possibility. So we could say it was time to put up or shut up. <laughs> he cats out of the bag here. And, uh, and he said to the king, he said... And I love this. He says, well, let the king live forever. How many of you know that's a good way to start out? Long live the king. I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not against the king. And so he lifts that up. Let the king live forever. And Nehemiah, he needed to make sure that his concern was not mistaken for disrespect. 
Um, and a bold response then begins to roll out of him. We, we heard it as we read the scripture, but I, I want to go back through it. What we see is that building back bolder calls us to state the need boldly and clearly. Verse 3, why should not my face be sad? I mean, this is as blunt as you can get. When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The, The city where my father's graves are, there's no protection for those graves. There's nothing to to be able to uh, protect the city or or the temple there. So there you got it. You might fire me or or worse, but I've been honest. And if I die today, I die an honest man. And that's the way he approached it. And we need to realize uh, that that there's going to be times when we need to ask bluntly for help. When building back Boulder, we're going to need help and support from others. And that can sometimes be our, our biggest obstacle. I talk to people from time to time, and, and, uh, and they may have had a, a major uh, loss or a setback or a trauma, and they're trying to get things together. And, and I'll say, why didn't you ask for some help? Well, I, I just I wanted to do this myself. I, I just don't like to reach out for help. I don't like to ask anyone to help me. And this is not the way the body of Christ is constructed. There are people around us ready to help in so many different ways. And we need to understand that. When God calls us to pick up the pieces and move ahead, we're going to need encouragement. And we're going we're to need uh, material support from others. And the biggest problem with that is what? It's our pride. You say, well, I don't want to ask anything. I want to do this on my own. Well, that's not the way God made the body. We need to reach out. We need to accept. And people will come and say, if you need anything, I will help you. No, 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 no. We need to receive the help that's offered. And that begins to happen here. Because the response of King Artaxerxes is is really nothing short of stunning. The king said to me, okay, what do you want? I mean, for a king who basically owns everything and, and has power over everything and is fabulously rich... To receive that, now, I don't know that it was a blank, blank check, but it's a pretty big offer. What do you need? I'll take care of it. It's an amazing thing to have such a wealthy and powerful person. So what do you want? What can I do to help? And so it's amazing his response in that moment. We know he's prayed and prayed and prayed and bathed this whole thing in prayer. But in that next part of the verse, he says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. There are moments when we need to pray. And this was an amazing moment like that. Building back Boulder requires us to have a relationship of prayer that connects us in the moment. Now, Nehemiah doesn't say, so I prayed. I got down on my knees and I said, oh, Lord God, I'm not sure what to say here. I'm not sure what to ask for. I'm not sure what all the needs. No, (laughs) we don't get any of that. There are no words in this prayer. How many of you know you need to know how to pray with no words? How many of you know that? And you do that. There are moments where there's a prayer, it's your heart, and you're connected. And sometimes it's, help me, Jesus. <laughs> and sometimes it's, Lord, I, I, I don't know the words, I don't know what to say. And, and it was that kind of a moment. Give me the right words, oh God. And the truth is that the ability to connect with God at any moment, it's learned over time. 
It's learned in an ongoing relationship. So we can't just say, well, if I ever need that kind of prayer, I'll just wait and I guess I'll pray that kind of prayer. No, we need a relationship of prayer with the Lord that we develop. It's why we pray and we listen and we meditate. We learn to hear his voice. How do we hear his voice? Sometimes we call it the still small voice. And it's hard to even explain or describe. Sometimes it's in scripture or a scripture that comes to mind because we've meditated on the scripture. Scripture comes to mind and God is answering. God is speaking in that scripture. But it's all about relationship with God that's built. Building that boulder requires us to trust the, the Lord for words that we will say. He doesn't know what to say. There's so many scriptures about this. Luke 12, for the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. What a marvelous promise. Luke 21, uh, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Wow. I will give you a mouth and wisdom. <laughs> which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand and contradict. I'll claim that in the name of Jesus. Amen? Isaiah 51. Let's read this one out loud together. It's marvelous. Let's read that. I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that it waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you, in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. That's the God. We were just singing about him. And we're just singing about how there's not any syllable that is wasted of his voice and of his word. And so he's going to give us the words. I I pray prayers like this all the time. I I pray a a prayer for the Lord to give me the words uh, every time I stand before you. And you might say, well, Pastor Jeff, don't you prepare? Absolutely, I prepare and prepare. And then I say, you know, the the prayer you maybe have heard, it's a scriptural prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I heard that every Sunday as a little kid growing up. And I pray it. Because I don't want to misstep. I don't want to wrongly divide the word of truth. I don't want to bring something before you that's incorrect. And so I pray for the right words. And so he, he makes a, his request, and we want to see that. Making your request in a plain way is so important. He, said, he goes on, he says, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, long live the king, <laughs> and if your servant has found favor in your sight, and I think there had to be a sense of that favor, Uh, That you send me, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. I I just want to do this simple thing. I want to go rebuild a city. And he didn't really ask for anything else. He says, just send me and I'll figure out the rest. I mean, I know God is with me. And we see this amazing response. And I, I love this part of the scripture. And the king said to me, and don't miss this in parenthesis, The queen, sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? We we want you back, but how long will it take? What a marvelous response. So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. I I don't know. I think it'll take a few months. He gave him some, some period of time. He ends up being there longer than that. 
Now, the thing that's fascinating is that the queen is mentioned as being present. How many of you know that's not an accident? We just sang about it. There's not a syllable that's wasted. There's not any part of God's word that is wasted. It's not there just by chance. There aren't any accidents in his word. And so we need to understand what that's about. We've talked about it a little bit. One thing that it means is that Nehemiah was a highly trusted part of the household because you weren't allowed to be in the presence of the queen as a male unless you were a eunuch. We don't have any indication that he was a eunuch. But he was in the presence of, of the queen, meaning he was part of the household. He was so highly trusted. And then we need to understand that she had a very important place in, in, in Persian culture. In Persia, that word queen means woman of the palace or chief woman. Uh, this is actually the place that uh, Queen Esther, the Jew, Jewess, took this place. Twenty years earlier, Esther became the queen uh, of the palace, the woman of the palace. Uh, in Hebrew, the word, the phrase means royal bride. So this means she was not just part of the, of the harem. She was not, we know he had three other wives. She wasn't like in charge of the other concubines or something like that. She had a very important place. Now, the name, and this isn't in your notes, but uh, the name of Artaxerxes' queen, we know from other literature, was Damaspia. Why don't you say that with me? Damaspia. And I didn't know about her. I, I, I kind of discovered this part, digging into some of the, of the literature and commentary. She was a woman of great influence. And, and actually, the traditional role of the queen in Persian culture was to influence her husband to follow a kinder and gentler way. <laughs> she would temper him a little bit. If he was ready to say, you know what, I don't like the look on your face. And she would say, no, calm down. <laughs> That, that was her role, was to temper things. And that was one of her major roles. And we know that just 20 years earlier, Esther had influenced uh, the father of Artaxerxes to save the Jewish people. So many, many feel that Damaspia may well have sympathized with Nehemiah. She may have really liked him, uh, seen him around a lot, and may have conversed with him from time to time. So we don't have any words. We just know she was there. How many of you know you don't have to say words to have influence? Especially in, in, a, in a marriage relationship. You know, I was thinking about it, and I, and I thought about how sometimes uh, Pastor Ann and I will be out to dinner uh, in an important situation. We may be out to dinner, and we may have her mother there. And then, uh, and maybe some other family members. And uh, the table server will come around and they're obviously kind of looking around to see how is the check going to be taken care of. And she'll just glance at me. That's all she has to do. I know exactly what she means. And so I find a way to make sure I get the check, okay? That's an example of influence. Godly influence. And I believe that was going on here. Because there's this favorable response. And suddenly it's time to ask for a few things. Building back bolder requires that we ask for what we need. And now it was time to ask. And Nehemiah asks for some specific things. The truth is that we never know all that we're going to need. But we must ask for what we know. 
He didn't know everything. He, he had no idea. He's going to get there. We're going to study it next week. He's going to get there and he's going to do a, a midnight tour to go around and look at how bad it is. And it was really bad. Some places he can't even really get his horse to go through. It's so bad. The broken down gates, the broken down walls. So we never really know what we're going to need. But he asks for these things. He says, I'm going to need some letters of clearance. That was basically like a visa. I need permission to be able to go into the land. I'd like some permits to cut timber. I'm going to need timber uh, to be able to rebuild some of these things. And I know I'm going to need that. So that goes into process. Later on, we hear that he has an armed escort of officers and horsemen from the army. You didn't mess with the officers and the horsemen of the king's army. And Nehemiah doesn't even ask for that. He doesn't request it, but we know it's provided. Probably the king said, there's something else you're going to need to to get there safely. And so he sends this uh, guard, this group of guards. So here's a powerful truth that God will provide things we did not even think we needed or we did not know that we needed. This is one of our favorite scriptures. Let's read it out loud together, Philippians 4.19. Ready? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say, and my God will supply the things you thought about. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that my God will supply the stuff you asked for. No, it says, I'm gonna, my God is going to supply everything that you need because he knows better than you know. How many of you have found that out? Yeah, he knows better. And so the plan then, it comes together really rather quickly. We don't have the specifics. Uh, It's amazing. The others, we have this detail about getting ready and getting everything ready and organizing the people and getting them to move. Uh, We know that they were moving resources and timber and people, um, but there's nothing. We're going to turn the page uh, into the next uh, few verses and it's there. And he begins to, to look around and see what's going on there. And so uh, we'll see what happens uh, as we continue our study. But what I want to lift up this weekend is this. Uh, are you trying to get started building back Boulder? Sometimes that's the hardest part. You know, I've been with people that they said, I just, I know what needs to be done, but I just can't get going. I have this huge task. Sometimes it's cleaning out dad's house or cleaning out uh, mom's things. There's these things that we deal with or cleaning out our own garage that, that are hard for us. It can be even much bigger than that. I talk to people and they say, I've got some things I have to do with my, with my uh, employees in my company. I've got to There's some things I have to change. There's some people I have to let go that's not cutting it. And it's hard. How do you get started with doing hard things? And so so we want to kind of understand that. Especially as we're kind of trying to, to think about rebuilding. Do you need to fortify the walls and the gates for your family and, and for your life? We talked about that last weekend, how the, the walls are built with word of God. That's the rock. Do you need to strengthen the centrality of worship? Now, don't, don't treat worship so casually, but be drawn in to make worship central. Do you need to ground your life and your family in the word of God? You know, I I look around sometimes and I listen to what's going on in our culture and I say, we desperately need the word of God. I mean, how is it that we've gotten to a place where we have a vast number of people in in our population who think it's okay to kill babies? Babies! And, And they just have no 
respect for the sanctity of human life. How did we get to that place? Uh, just a few years ago, and I'm not even talking politically, just a few years ago, uh, it, was, it was widely viewed that, that that was not a good thing. <laughs> How do we get to that place? And that's just one. There's so many issues that we could raise. How is it that we've gotten to where we are so uh, adrift from the word of God? And we need to strengthen the walls So how else will our children and our children's children know how to make decisions if they're just listening to what they hear in the culture? It's not going to be the right decisions. Is there some significant change that you're being led to make to strengthen your life and your family? And here's how you start. I just want to lift these up one more time. Uh, we, We bathe the plans of God in prayer. We have to be in prayer. We wait on the Lord. We don't run ahead. We also don't want to fall behind. We do not hide the need. There's a point at which we need to state the need boldly. We move through fear when it comes upon us. We declare God's leading boldly. We connect in the moment to the words of the Lord. God, I need, I need your words. We make plain the details that are required and we ask for all that we know is needed and trust that the rest will be there. That is how we begin. Let's pray together. It may be that you've been listening and and even connecting online and, and you've realized, I have not yet begun any of this journey. And the way that we do that is with a simple prayer that says, Lord, Jesus, I need you. And I want to take hold of your grace. I want to take hold of your word. I want to take hold of the forgiveness that you have offered me. I want to be saved and to be the new creation in you. And if you pray a prayer like that, you begin this journey. Lord, show us how how we can start on the things that you desire to rebuild in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our church, in our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.